Welcome to Brew Success Radio, the podcast that brings you the most up-to-date information on training, nutrition, lifestyle and business with your host, Helda Barroso. Right guys, welcome to another podcast. Today I'm really excited to have on board with us Christian Thompson and Justin Maguire. And we're going to be talking about mainly gut health, which is a topic that I'm, I'm hugely interested in. And I know a lot of people are going to take a lot away from this. So Justin and Christian, who wants to go first in terms of introducing yourselves? I think Justin, please, you go first. Oh, well, thanks for the questions. Uh, hi, guys. So my name is Justin McGuire. Thank you, Helen, for bringing us on board. Um, I founded Autonomic Coaching. Uh, Autonomic Coaching is a business where myself and Christian I've come together in a collaboration to delve into molecular evaluations. And what that means is looking into bloods, urine, stool samples, and even hair samples, figuring out where there's deficiency, what's causing the problem, and to devise health strategies in order to improve the outcome and the efficiency of our patients slash clients' physiology. And the reason why I say patients and clients, um, some of the people that we see are in terrible health and others are just looking to optimize their health. Uh, which I think is uh, labels the distinguishing difference between the two. Um, but yeah, that's it for me, Justin. My background as to like how I got to this point, I was a trainer for many years, then I was a therapist, and then I went into nutrition. And I'm just a bit of a nerd and a geek, and I couldn't stop myself from uh, studying more and more, just like Christian. Um, hence the reason why we get on so well. I think, you know, we're, we're nerds um, in the same, same uh, cooking pot. <laughs> two pieces of the same pot. And uh, with that, you know, uh, I literally just evolved my understanding into the very basics at this point of molecular medicine. Um, and I'm sure that over the next few decades, uh, that, that knowledge will just continue to be compounded and to transform the world of preventative healthcare. Amazing. Christian? Yeah. So, um, well, my, my background is actually, I was originally a professional fighter. So um, I, uh, I, was, I was a world champion kickboxer. I retired probably about eight years ago now from that fully. But um, that's where my whole career and path started. And I kept coming across problems within myself and within the students that I would teach because I also used to run martial arts schools as well as quite personally. And uh, I even had my own health issues where one of the reasons why I retired is because I was suffering from heavy metal poisoning, which was non-benign to me at the time. But uh, that's what we found as I retired and took some time to uh, out to look after myself. And and I going through that process of helping my own self overcome these obscure or idiopathic health issues. Um, I sort of got into the role of more of a therapist and uh, and uh, and a uh, sort of practitioner of of uh, functional health, functional uh, functional medicine to a degree. And I've continued to run with that. And as I was dedicated to sharpening my body as a fighter, I've also been now dedicated to sharpening my mind as, as a therapist. Sounds amazing. <laughs> so I don't know what that noise was there, but anyway. So thanks guys for, for your introduction. So the topic is gut health. So uh, Christian, um, I know we touched a little bit just before we, we came on the podcast about this acronym that you guys have. Do you want yeah. to start there? Oh yeah, so we can just uh, see jump jump back in from there. I mean, really, like I said before, realistically, this is Justin's acronym, but um, it's a very very good one, and it's it's DADU D A D U. So this stands for uh, digestion, absorption, detoxification, and utilization. Now, um, just like I was saying, from everything from the first step of any form of digestive process, which is just like there's the physical sight or smell of food which will start processes off. And if we can have dysfunctions within this whole process, it all the way down the line from this very first section of your perception of food or your, or your um, expectation of food, down to physically the chewing of your food, you know, the habits that we have, the drinking water when, we, when we're eating or drinking extensive amounts of alcohol when we're eating, you know, down to the actual chemical release of, new, of, of, uh, of, of digestive secretions, when in our stomach or from our pancreas or from our liver and gallbladder, such as bile, you know, all these things have 
extreme knock-on effects on how we'll be able to physically break down that food and therefore our capacity to assimilate it. And this is before we even get to the aspect of, say, the condition of the gastrointestinal lining, as we, as I, we discussed slightly a little bit earlier, with um, gastric inflammation having major impact on you know, how well we can physically absorb that nutrients through, through our digestive tract. And if we're not having good absorption through our digestive tract, it can lead to reductions in our micronutrient density. Uh, it also can lead to putrefaction and, and fermentation of our foods leading to bacterial dysbiosis and which leads to a whole other host of problems. And it can also lead to uh, for us to have false confidence in say supplementation. You know, we can actually absolutely ruin our ability to absorb these nutrients that we're supplementing with and also ruin our ability to get nutrients in from the base foundational food that we're eating mm. and they give us um, red herrings and fo or false hope and spin us down the wrong path where we think we're taking plenty of vitamin D and yet our vitamin D levels are still created because we're just not getting enough of it in through the supplemental form that we're taking. And maybe we're, we're not getting out and seeing enough sun because we think we're taking plenty of vitamin D and therefore there's no need. Yes. You know, yeah. We can see that these problems can very quickly arise. And that's before we even get into the idea of detoxification and utilization, which is a, a huge, huge topics by themselves. Justin, again, do you want to sort of jump on and add a few bits? Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, you know, the problem is in society is that we're all on the bandwagon for um, quick fixes. Absolutely. Right? Instant gratification. Uh, and you probably know this, Holder. I mean, the, the people that you help, there. I don't know if this is a question that you often receive, but what is the quickest way that I can lose fat? This is, like, this is probably the most that's, pressing that's question, the first question in the general pop, yes. right? Yes. How do I lose fat quickly? Yes. Okay. And like the mentality is we think of fat loss, we think of health in an economical sense, right? But the reality is if the human biology, Okay, and the physiological components within our biology doesn't equate to that of economics. Well, in certain instances, maybe, but it's far more complex than that. In other words, it's not an easy equation of putting in and putting out, and then you're going to get to X, which is what a lot of people on the, that jump on that bandwagon of you know, calorie deficits um, proclaim to be the, the gospel, you know, as to all that you need to take into consideration in order to get a result. Now, I'm not saying that you're not going to lose fat uh, or you're not going to lose weight when you go into a calorie deficit. But what I am trying to say is, is it's, there are far more pressing considerations to make before we go along the realms of this deprivation, right? Going into the realms of deprivation create a huge host of probable unwanted side effects, such as like poor emotional state, you know, feeling frustrated, not getting good sleep. Um, you know, these are, these are common symptoms that people face when they start to go into uh, on a diet. You know, they have great intentions. And as soon as they embark in, you know, on fulfilling those intentions, they become frustrated, not because of the food, but because how they're feeling within themselves by following the specific type of plan that is only set to deprive them of all the things that the body actually needs. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that you know if you eat a healthy diet um, that, that you're going to obviously you know when you're on a calorie uh, deficit you should be eating a healthy diet so obviously that's not taking into account the fact that you're eating nutrient dense food but what it is taking into account is what exactly is the state that your body is in in order for it to be able to absorb the nutrients found that food to be able to mm. create hormones to be able to create neurotransmitters that keep you in a positive motivated state so that you're not going into the gym feeling as though you are trading trading in lead you know yes. that you're actually going to the gym with a spring in your step ready yes. to get under that squat rack yes and this is where like the gastrointestinal system plays a huge part in being able to understand the relationship it has within change of body composition and change of global health as a whole um do you know to what christian said before help you know digestion how often is it that you found in, in your experience that clients suffer from bloating or suffer from indigestion uh, on on a regular basis right and in these instances 
how often the same clients struggling with excessive weight, weight around the middle uh, visceral section of the body, around the yeah. navel, navel and yeah. superiliac site. A lot of right? the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and what is the most common practice that those type of individuals have incorporated in the past before coming to you, of course, <laughs> but before fat, coming to your professional. Fat diet, fat diets, quick fixes. Uh, and what, in your opinion, given given uh, up given up foods, um, not eating carbohydrates, not you know the usual keto diet, slimming world, you know the, the usual day to day fat yeah. diets that we see out there. Right. So I like what you said there first. Not eating carbs, cutting out yep. carbs. Exactly. Right. Massive one. The other one, increasing fat intake. Yes. Right. Cutting back on carbs, increasing fat intake. Yeah. Then probably the third most popular would be calorie deficit. Yeah. Right. Now, the problem with all three of those, right? I'm, I, unfortunately, Helder, I'm going to turn my video off now because I am having issues with that. No worries. And with that's uh, fine. Mentioned that's fine. You'll be able to hear me, but you can't see my, my pretty beard anymore. That's You'll okay. see a younger, healthier, I'm sorry. A healthier, younger version of myself. <laughs> I'm older <laughs> now than when I was competing. Uh, so when it comes to uh, cutting out carbohydrates, as one example, I think the biggest reason as to why people feel that this would work is because, yes, when you do eat carbohydrates, you are going to attract more water. Now, that's not necessarily a bad thing because when if we're in the water, we have electrolytes that help the nervous system. But it also comes back down to the point of, what type of carbohydrates are you consuming? What quantity of carbohydrates are you consuming? And at what points of the day are you consuming those carbohydrates? Now, when you take a situation where somebody has poor digestion, often the, 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 uh, the cause to create the poor digestion doesn't come from just bad food, but comes from bad lifestyle, mm. in particular, an excessive exposure to stress. So stress is a very broad term. Right, so we get psychological stress, we get physical stress, training in the gym, environmental stress. If you were in, uh, are you based in Dubai, Holder? No, I'm here for a month, but I'm normally based in the UK. Okay, so being in Dubai at the moment, you've got a lot of petrochemicals in the air, right? Yes. So there's a huge amount of environmental stress that the liver has to contain with there as well. So all these factors are going to increase the quantity of stress in the body, either by directly stimulating the adrenal glands or by indirectly activating certain components of the immune system, which creates certain um, uh, protein signals like called cytokines to proliferate. And these cytokines, these protein signals cause inflammation in the body, which is another form of stress. Now, in a, with the cookie cutter approach, you're taking out carbohydrates and you're not, you're not first assessing the current stress state of the individual, and you're putting them through a training program that has a huge amount of volume, short amount of rest. And now all of a sudden you take out the carbohydrates. Well, what people don't understand is carbohydrates, are, as, as far as all three macronutrients are concerned, are the best form of macronutrients to help modulate the impact of stress on the body. Carbohydrates help to uh, modulate the, uh, the ratios or the levels of cortisol within the body, all right? So often what gets um, cited in a lot of media articles when it comes to uh, carbohydrates and low carbohydrate diets for fat loss is normally touted toward the idea of insulin sensitivity, okay? And that if you cut out a certain type of macronutrient for a long enough period of time, you're gonna increase the sensitivity the body has to that hormone, all right? In this case, insulin. Now, that is true for the most part. However, there's also a, a particular caveat that people don't necessarily take into consideration. And the caveat is the fact that when it's, either you, it's on a very uh, narrow point of the pendulum. So yes, reducing carbohydrates might be beneficial, but if you reduce them to a point where it becomes detrimental to the body, insulin sensitivity can actually even become further dysregulated or impaired, right? Because the body requires a certain amount of glucose, certain amount of pancreatic stimulation in order for beta cells, which are the cells in our pancreas, 
to be able to release enough insulin at the right biphasic response in order to instigate recovery for multiple pathways in the body, including improved testosterone production. So it's not a question that high fat, low, uh, high fat, low carbohydrate diets are bad or good. That's not the question at all. Mm. The question is, are they good for the person sitting in front of you? And Absolutely. if that person is exhibiting huge amounts of signs of stress, not sleeping well. So these are the, these are the symptoms that I would implore anybody that's considering going on a high fat, low, low carbohydrate diet to take into consideration. Are you sleeping well? Are you waking up with enough energy? Do you feel anxiety? Are you experiencing anxiety? Are you experiencing any form of brain fog? If you answer yes to any of those questions, I would highly recommend that you do not go on a very high fat, low carbohydrate diet to start with. Mm. But rather you clean up the source of your carbohydrates and you figure out where is the sweet spot that your body can handle the quantity of calories associated to those carbohydrates. That's just one example. You know, the other example of increasing fats, Christian, you want to take over this one, the, the negative of increasing fats without taking other factors in consideration. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like, uh, okay, before we even think about uh, increasing fats, we have to understand first your ability to produce bile, like your, your physical production of it, and also your capacity to excrete it and then release it. So, uh, you know, how is your gallbladder handling things? You know, how, how is your liver handling things? What, how is your glucuronidation pathway within your phase two of, of your liver pathways? How, how is that functioning? And what's your red blood cell health like? Because this will have a major, major impact on that as well. So, you know, before we even look at, you know, increasing your, the quantity of fats you're, you're, you're taking in, we've got to look at those things. Now, that's even before we look at, say, gastric inflammation, your oxidation profile, your lip, uh, lipid peroxidation profile. So, you know, uh, how, how likely you are to actually be able to assist, uh, absorb and assimilate those fats. Because if, if you have a higher level of oxidation in the gastrointestinal tract, we're more likely to actually oxidize those fats and then absorb them as oxidized fats. Now, when we actually say like, when people actually look at stuff like cholesterol, they are cholesterol causes plaque in the heart, so like that. well, actually, no, it doesn't not so straightforward it's actually oxycholesterol so oxidative cholesterol that will do those sorts of things so if you're having high levels of uh, oxidation happening in the gastrointestinal tract or high levels of lipopolysaccharides which is like the sort of inflammatory components of neg uh, of bad bacteria that can cause inflammatory responses or immune responses in the body if you're having high amounts of that happening in the intestinal tract what happens is they actually uh, incorporated in what we call chylomicrons, which get, which is where how you actually incorporate most of the medium, medium and long chain fatty acids into the in, into the system, and those mm -hmm. the, those elements will end up oxidizing all the fat that you're physically in, in inducing. That oxidized fat will only uh, act to further oxidize the entire system, damage cell membranes, and cause lots and lots of congestion within the liver in itself depleting major micronutrient levels. I think so, that uh, one of the things that is, is important to maybe point out is uh, all of what you guys are, are saying makes absolutely total sense. However, if we're looking at a, a, a person, general population, who all of a sudden wants to go, oh, you know, I need to lose a bit of weight. And they, they just think, well, I'm going to drop calories, drop carbohydrates. That's what we see, right? We see give, giving up bread, giving up rice, giving up the usual culprits, yeah. Um, they're not thinking about, well, am I going to absorb fats correctly? Yeah. Am, am I excreting enough bile? So do you think that that might be a bit way too much for someone to think at the beginning to, in terms but of their fat loss phase? These are, these are the, the mechanical things of why they're important, you know, and how these things happen. Now, if we break it down to something a little bit more usable, you yeah. know, I, like you just said, we can we can break it down into symptoms. You know, we can say, right, well, if you're having X, Y, and Z symptoms, and that's obviously why, like, you know, Justin, we just launched, you just launched that the, the app, which gives us a huge amount of in, in, insight into the, the symptomology of a person and which of these structures are having the most strain on them or struggling the most. And therefore, we can actually determine which dietary strategies may be 
more beneficial or less beneficial based on this symptomology and simplify right. it into functional usable aspects. So while, while the, the client side is never going to understand all of these in, intricate details and they, they never have to, I mean, we don't want them to do that. We just want them to understand that, you know, there are reasons why you would want to go here, there, or somewhere else. Every single strategy works. It just depends on your current internal state to whether that strategy is suitable to you. And Justin, you were going to say something there. Yeah, I think the moral story that Christian is trying to depict here is the fact that we don't want anybody to have to guess. And this is a phrase that Christian coined uh, a while back as well. And it's a very, very pertinent phrase, uh, phrase to take into consideration. Don't guess, test. Yeah. Now, when it comes to testing, I think people underrate its, um, prior, its importance. Now, testing is a priority before embarking on any protocol, whether it be a fat loss, hypertrophy, strength gaining protocol. It is vitally important that we figure out where the major dysfunctions are stemming from. So what, what we've done is we've created a app which basically goes over 364 questions that covers 16 systems throughout the body. And based on the outcome of how a person answers the symptoms in terms of the severity that they're experiencing behind each symptom, will give us a really good subjective idea of where we need to focus efforts. So for those out there that don't understand the science behind biology, okay, and all the components that make it up, uh, you don't have to. But what you should do is understand that in, in order to have the best physique, the best mind, the best available amount of energy, you need to service your engine before you can rev it and have it perform at its most optimal. Mm. Now, when we drop calories, when we increase training volume, this is revving the engine. Okay? This is accelerating our caloric output. Okay, particularly when we're increasing our amount of work time that we have in the gym, for whatever reason it might be. And there's nothing wrong with that. Training is good. Obviously, this is what we're in the business for. Absolutely. However, however this is a very big however, it is only going to be useful in the right circumstances, same with diet. So before you go into considerations of dropping calories, dropping carbohydrates, dropping increasing fats, implementing fasting, implementing keto, whatever the fat is. And look, the, all these diets, they have their place if applied perfectly. But before we do any strategy, Let's figure out how we can restore DADU, digestion, assimilation, detoxification, and utilization. Now, what does that exactly mean? Yeah. Well, digestion, in a nutshell, is the outcome of balancing the different pHs throughout different components of breaking down food throughout our gastrointestinal tract. As an example, in the stomach, we want a very low pH. We want the stomach to be acid, acidic enough in order to activate certain enzymes to break down protein structures. Okay, and this is also very important for the nervous system, particularly in the first hours of the morning to help to restore and to um, regulate our circadian rhythm. Very, very important. Getting protein in the first, time, first, first hour, within the first hour that you're waking up, for any clients out there or potential listeners that are looking to improve their health, I want to ask you the question, are you able to fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up with vigor? If the answer to that is no, to any one of those three, the first thing you need to do is get in between 20 and 50 grams of protein in the first hour when you wake up in the day. Why? Because protein stimulates the heightened release of a hormone called gastrin. Now, gastrin is a very important hormone to take into consideration. It is the initial catalyst that kicks off the digestion process from, uh, from uh, occurring in the body. So without gastrin, right, we don't get enough stimulation of parietal cells, which are cells in the stomach that create acidity. 
So we need that environment in order to kickstart the protein breakdown to help our nervous system and also to help detoxification. So if, if anybody, out, out, anybody out there was wanting to do one thing, that would be the first thing that I would recommend you do to start your health journey. And consume between 20 and 50 grams of protein in the first hour when you wake up, obviously depending on your body weight and size, you know, 20, 20 grams for a lady weighing 50 kilos, 50 grams for a gentleman weighing over 100 kilos, as an example. Is that, in, is that a protein containing all amino, essential amino acids or could it, could it be a vegan protein? Very good question. Um, so the biggest difference between vegan-based proteins and omnivore-based proteins is the rate at which they instate. It's actually the acidity. So amino acids uh, basically contain both alkaline and acidic components. Okay. So in order for um, proteins to be able to induce enough of an acidic response, you have to think about the amino acid makeup from the protein source. Now, vegetarian or vegan-based protein sources don't have um, amino acid, a concentration of amino acids that induce enough of an acidic reaction in comparison to omnivore-based protein sources. But that doesn't mean to say that it's not going to be useful for a vegan to eat. 20 to 50 grams of vegan protein, it just, it, it only, uh, only thing that needs to be taken into consideration is the fact that they'll need to incorporate certain other forms of amino acids to improve on the functionality of the actual um, protein digestion, uh, as well as the amino acid utilization in that digestion to kickstart the mm -hmm. processes of acidic reaction in the stomach. And namely, those would be carnitine, carnosine, and tyrosine, okay? Those three amino acids are massively deficient in vegan-based protein sources. So if there were to supplement with a protein shake, as an example, I don't like protein shakes firstly. And the reason why I don't like protein shakes is because in the process of creating a protein shake, there's a, there is a great heating process that needs to occur, which actually causes the protein chains to become slightly um, altered. Uh, in, in other words, the enzyme reactions already start to kick off before it actually hits into the gut. So what that actually, what that uh, creates is a scenario whereby you have a rapid response from the pancreas to create a premature release of insulin. Okay, so now insulin is a great hormone, but it, it is released in two sequences. Okay, the first sequence when the body recognizes that there's food entering into the digestive tract. And the second sequence to contend with the load of sugar that's come from its uh, from that food coming through its digestive tract. Protein shakes, however, okay, because of the nature of the heating, in order to be able to create a protein shake, creates premature release of insulin, which is useful after training because you would do for the process of modulating cortisol impacts, but it is not useful in the first hour of the day. Why? Because when we increase insulin, we also increase other um, neurotransmitters, right? That inhibit the release of gastrin. So for the exact reason that we're eating protein to facilitate an optimal gastrin response, we're actually almost defeating the purpose by having those that protein intake from a processed protein shake rather yeah. than a whole food type of protein itself. I, I think the, the, another thing to, to, I guess, point out here is, um, I totally agree with you. Uh, uh, in terms of the protein shake side of things, one of the biggest uh, issues that I see with people is they don't eat enough protein in the first place. That's the, the biggest issue no. throughout, throughout the day. That's men and female. Um, so when they go into, for example, trying to eat a little bit more protein, they struggle to get it from food sources. So the first thing that they find that's an easy approach is a protein powder. And as you said, you know, first thing in the morning, it's probably not ideal, but what mm -hmm. we are seeing is people having smoothies first thing in the morning, which include a protein powder in them. Uh, yeah. that, that just, that's just to increase their protein intake, which has been deficient for probably most of their life anyway. Um, how would you look at something like that? 
I think what you've also got to remember here is the the conversation we were just having there is about the, the balance between gastrin and insulin at that yes. first in the morning. And the reason why that's important is because gastrin modulates leptin, which modulates the circadian rhythm or your internal body clock. Yes. Right? So um, what Justin was saying here uh, about the symptoms, such as like, you know, do you sleep well? Do you go full sleep easily? Do you sleep all the way through? Do you wake up invigorated? Well, all these can be related realistically back to the circadian rhythm. And this is yeah. why we talk about protein first thing in the morning. Realistically, it's about circadian rhythm and also leptin sensitivity because leptin sensitivity also has a huge knock-on effect on your ability to actually have an optimal body composition. So if we start to see problems with leptin sensitivity and circadian rhythm, or we'll start to see increased levels of inflammation, uh, reduced capacity to maintain optimal body composition. So basically we'll become puffier We'll fill out water more in the skin rather than actually intracellularly, which means we'll actually have to hold more water to be hydrated efficiently. And that like, creates that swelling and puffiness, and what we'll see in many people as well, which are overweight, um, as, as, along with the inflammation creating that problem as well. So realistically, what we want to see in the morning is this you know, heavy stimulation, stimulation of gastrin without the heavy stimulation of insulin or the excessive stimulation of insulin that may be occurring through alternative strategies. So while I think, uh, Justin, correct me if I'm wrong, protein shakes, certain protein shakes could be, op there could be optional, could be ways to go about having better quality versions. Um, it's probably more efficient to actually just take your amino acids from um, like capsule form than it would be from a protein shake in many con uh, contrasts because they, they can often become in more stable forms than the, the, the powdered forms uh, and, and less inflammatory forms a lot of the protein powders people will use will end up cause bloating in the first place uh, so yes. i mean yes. defeat the object of why you might want to have that instead of having a meal yeah so, justin i don't know if i completely there yeah i think it's the question of considering the premature release of any hormone right it's same with gastrin for example if we were to release gastrin prematurely and uh, we get to the point where we continue to release gastrin as food enters into the body the same scenario can occur when it comes to the body becoming desensitized to insulin we can become desensitized to gastrin and in these certain instances we develop uh, outcomes such as ulceritis okay so it's a question of modulating all hormones so that the body doesn't need a, an abundance of that hormone to facilitate a reaction. So what people really need to take into consideration, what is a hormone? A hormone is a message for the body, for different parts of the body, okay? And just like any other message, depending on how well it is written, the outcome to that message will either be positive or the message will have to get louder and louder and louder. So, when it comes to getting in the right type of protein and the reactions that it would have. Now, if we were to put into contrast, having a protein shake after you've had a vigorous training session, what are the benefits in doing that? Well, when you've had a vigorous training session, you deplete electrolytes. Right? You also deplete, with the depletion of electrolytes, you also deplete certain amounts of amino acids in the gut, namely glutamine, okay? And this causes somewhat of a dehydrating dehydration to occur within the GI tract itself. So why does it benefit us to have a protein shake as opposed to a solid meal after training? Well, one, when you have heightened levels of cortisol, you also actually exacerbate the quantity and the release of gastrin. Okay, so that everyone's thinking about gastrin-initiated digestion. Yes, it does to a certain point, but if you have a surplus of gastrin, Right. What's going to happen is that the stomach is going to have a negative feedback to that and inhibit the activity of parietal cells of releasing enough HCL. It's about hitting the sweet spot. So when you have a protein shake after training, right, you are basically taking out the equation of the acidity required in the stomach in order for the body to get those available amino acids, the proteins, carbohydrates, and so on and so forth, glucose polymers from the, from the different uh, carbohydrates, sorry, glucose saturates from the different carbohydrate sources. Now, when you have a protein shake after training, right, you spike insulin, 
which increases the absorption of water, which also increases the absorption of electrolytes in an environment that, has, that is exhibiting dehydration. Now, in these circumstances, it may be beneficial because the primary objective is to restore integrity of the electrolyte balance within the body. Hi, guys. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Carry on. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, okay. okay. So, sorry, I thought, uh, I thought the bandwidth cut out. So it's about increasing the absorption of lost electrolytes into the body, as well as increasing the output of insulin to negate the negative output of cortisol. Okay, so cortisol is positive and positively, positively beneficial for the as a catalyst to release of energy. But once we have finished training, we really want to modulate the quantity of cortisol that's flooding in our bloodstream. Because if we allow for cortisol concentration to be prolonged in our bodies, what's going to happen is we're going to have a proliferated effect of cytokines, pro-inflammatory agents that cause a delay in the recovery that we have off the workout. So in these instances, protein shake works really well. But when we wake up in the morning, we're not waking up in a state where we've had excessive cortisol. We're actually only initiating our cortisol release in the morning, all right? Which is another reason why actually having a dense protein source in the first hours of the day is beneficial because small amounts of cortisol modulated, I like that word, modulated amounts of cortisol help to improve the release of gastric, okay? Uncontended amounts of cortisol, in other words, proliferated amounts of cortisol, create gastrin to cause a negative feedback loop on acidity and the balance of acidity. So in the morning, we're not, we don't have a negative feedback loop that's occurred, or we shouldn't have in any case. Certain instances, there may be, and in those instances, a whole new strategy that needs to be incorporated. But for the most part, this shouldn't be the case. So when we wake up in the morning and we have a protein source, it should be a protein source that isn't going to heighten the impact in the premature or exacerbated release of insulin, okay? And this is the difference between a conventional protein source from natural food as opposed to a synthesized protein source through a protein shake itself. And are we, talk, are we talking about adding um, other foods in there as well? Or does it just have to be a pure protein source? Could it have any other macronutrients with it? Oh, most definitely I can. Most definitely. I, I would highly recommend that, actually. Um, but for the, well, the recommendation that I mentioned before, if, if a person were looking to reestablish their health and they're looking for a starting point, the most influential starting point, that starting point would be to consume 20 to 50 grams of protein within the first hour of waking up. And by all means, you can incorporate the inclusion of carbohydrates and fats into that meal without a doubt, not a problem. Uh, I would, however, having said that though, be very cautious on the source of the carbohydrates that you're consuming at those times of the day. Um, in my experience, carbohydrates that are sourced from, for example, grains or root vegetables serve good purpose later in the day. Um, but in earlier parts of the day that can actually create somewhat of impaired uh, acidic reactions for later meals to come. Uh, and that's to do with circadian rhythms and the different ratios available to us of, of cortisol, testosterone, uh, and very importantly, serotonin as the day goes on. So serotonin, most people will know what serotonin is, the happy hormone, they call it. It's actually a neurotransmitter. Um, the happy neurotransmitter. Uh, when we have, as the day progresses, we should uh, gradually have a, uh, an in increased release of serotonin occurring. Now, serotonin doesn't just help our mood, but it actually helps the motility rate in the gut as well, which helps to process um, fiber found in carbohydrates. So as we have, this is the reason why I'm a big fan of carbohydrate backloading. I'm sure you've heard of carb backloading. Yes. I feel, I feel it's probably one of the better dietary strategies to incorporate as a staple for the long run because of the fact that it takes into account the impact of the different um, ratios of neurotransmitters and when those ratios are heightened at different points in the day. So we have a, gen we should generally have a greater amount of dopamine that gets released about, you know, that peaks after about two or three hours after you've woken up. And obviously dependent on 
multiple factors, the um, concentrated uh, the concentration of dopamine, the sustainability of the concentration of dopamine, all comes down to the availability of amino acids for the most part, as well as other fat soluble vitamins. Okay, whether or not we can in, in balance um, the integrity within our neural structures to enable that that uh, the breakdown to be optimized, and also for the release to be optimized. Now, when we have predominantly protein and fats in the earlier part of the day, we also are going to be exhibiting less oxidative stress when we wake up as opposed to later in the day. Now, one of the very important factors to, uh, to consider when it comes to digestion is oxidative stress. And basically what oxidative stress means is when we lose electrons because of stress that occurs in the body, because of energy processes throughout the body. So just by way of being awake, we will produce energy. And by producing energy, we will produce oxidants. The higher the increase in the quantity of oxidants in the system, the less likely that body will be able to break down fats as efficiently. Not just saying it won't be, but its efficiency of breaking down fats is gonna be lower. Mm. This is the reason as to why this type and the source of fat that you consume needs to be considered. Saturated fats in the early part of the day polyunsaturated fats in the latter part of the day. And it comes down to what is required in breaking down those bonds that are found in those sources of fat and the complex interactions required. Okay, so there's a far more complex interactions required and far greater quantity of bile required in breaking down saturated bonds as opposed to polyunsaturated fats. So consuming a good protein source with a good amount of healthy saturated fats, such as sourced from coconut oil, as one example, or avocado oil. This is a good way for you to feel a better dopamine response in the brain, better pH reactions in the guts, not for only starting your day, but for ongoing process of digestion required throughout the day as well, okay, as you continue to eat and so on. Um, and it really comes down to the complex interaction that gastrin, with what I said, with the, the latter part of what I said, that gastrin has on other hormones such as secretin and CCK. Christian, you want to give a little bit of insight as to why secretin and CCK are so important behind the next letter in our acronym assimilation? Basically, we've got both these hormones that can have um, pretty strong interactions with our ability to release the a downstream uh, digestive secretions. So let's look at CCK, for example, has very particularly strong relationship with both bicarbonate and also um, uh, bile metabolism. So both of these will act as antimicrobials in their own right, as well as having a strong impacts on, uh, on the activation of the pancreatic, um, uh, pancreatic enzymes, as, as well as the release of them in, in full, full stop. So, you know, when we start seeing this acidic chyme come out of the stomach and into the duodenum, which is like the first part of the intestinal tract, stimulate the release of, uh, you know, if we don't have the proper release of stuff like secretin and CCK, we're not going to get the appropriate release of bicarbonate and bile to then change that, uh, that pH variable from that acidic to this more alkaline and base uh, pH and therefore activate the pancreatic enzymes to, to prevent any irritation of the duodenum because what the, the pH the stomach is happy at accepting is not the same as the pH that the duodenum will be happy at accepting. And as we go through that, uh, the, the gastrointestinal tract through the small intestines, we're going to get to more of a, um, an alkaline pH, which will be better representative to how we can assimilate or absorb those nutrients to our intestinal tract, as well as continue the, the chemical digestion or chemical breakdown of those products by the pancreatic enzyme. Yeah. So all, all, that, all that gets affected based on the first thing that you consume as soon as you wake up. Well, you know, yes, definitely it's all affected by the, the first thing you consume when you wake up. But the, the, the point of the digestion cascade is without the release of hydrochloric acid, so without basically the, the, the proper activation of the, the, uh, the parietal cells we discussed by gastrin, we're not going to get the knock-on effect downstream for the correct um, uh, peptide and hormonal signaling mm -hmm. to make sure the correct digestive secretions are released at the correct timings as 
the food moves through the gastrointestinal tract. But yes, um, the first thing you eat in the morning has a massive impact on this cascade. And, and the first thing we recommend is protein, milk containing between 20 and 50 grams yeah, of yeah. protein. Amazing. I think the next consideration that I would have to uh, put forward when people to put into place, apart from having protein, uh, also consider where in the day you're actually consuming the majority of your calories. And also the meal space and time that you're incorporating behind your actual dietary plan itself. Now, the reason for this, there are two other hormones um, that, we haven't that we haven't spoken about yet, motilin and somatostatin. So basically, these, these hormones work in opposition to one another. They're inversely related. Where motilin increases the rate of how our motility rate, in essence, in our gut, and somatostatin slows it down. So as you can expect, somatostatin will increase our ability to release energy for our periphery, for the, our somatic nervous system, okay? To allow us to be more active by taking energy away from the gastrointestinal system, whereas motilin would do the opposite. Now, when we consume more calories in the earlier part of the day, as opposed to the latter part of the day, Firstly, we're going to have a better um, likelihood of inducing enough acidity to break down those calories. But secondly, we're also going to, and by doing so, lessen the quantity of calories required to be able to hit the specific target later in the day. And what this does is that it gives another um, hormone, PYY336, an opportunity to rehydrate the large intestine, or, and also to be able to absorb electrolytes from the large intestine for the entire body itself. So just by reducing the calorie consumption within your meals that are in the later part of the day and having majority of your calories in the earlier part of the day, that alone is going to improve on how well your nervous system functions, how well you're able to release energy, and as to how well you're able to digest foods and break down energy itself. So I think that's, that's a, a very big consideration that people overlook, but just by incorporating a certain amount of protein and by changing how you consume your calories, not to say you have to reduce your calories, but rather how you consume your calories. Consume the majority part of, in the, early on in the day and then the rest in the evening, would you say? Exactly. Basically turning your dinner on its head. Yes. Yeah, well, I, th I think, well, there's been a lot of research done this in terms of uh, restricted eating windows and looking at early, early restricted to late restricted. And they, they, they found many, many times that it positively later. impacts. Uh, yeah, well, you're eating, eating your food earlier in the day, eating your food later yeah, in the day. Absolutely. Has, yeah. has a positive impact on <laughs> glucose response to your glucose tolerance, as well as your inflammatory, the levels of inflammatory markers that are floating around your system. As well as sleep, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is what I was about to come to next. Yeah. Just back to what um, Justin was saying about just the fact uh, of um, giving the large intestine, the colon, the opportunity to rehydrate itself during the latter end, last part of the day. Uh, something that people don't respect or to even think to contend with is the amount of dehydration that can actually occur during sleep. sleep. You know, Absolutely. you go eight hours, eight hours without drinking any water. Um, now, uh, not only that, but you're actually quite metabolically active during the night and you use quite a lot of water um, just to go through those repair processes and you know and, and these regeneration and growth processes that, that should be occurring while you sleep so uh, and, and not to mention what's going on in your cerebral spinal fluid and what's going on in your brain with the sort of waves of cerebral spinal fluid that will actually be pulsating over your brain which is how it actually clears this stuff out overnight which is one of the reasons why we have to sleep is because we go into these deep phase sleeping patterns, which create these uh, coherent waves of electromagnetic energy that go through our brain, quite literally, these pulsative waves that will allow the cerebral spinal fluid to be flushed across the, the whole cortex. So this whole aspect of allowing proper rehydration and electrolyte balance to, re to reoccur at the latter end of the day actually supports your hydration during sleep and therefore effective sleep. This is why these processes that say, you know, stuff like eating a proper eating a proper breakfast in the morning, seeing sunlight in the morning, and having these processes go out through the day that affect your circadian rhythm, also have large impacts on your sleep and your capacity to wake up the next day. It's all 
part of the same journey. It's all part of the same circle. And you, you mess one part of it up and that boy can have a knock-on effect in the yes. other part. And sleep causes the, a lack of um, uh, you know, uh, hunger, a lack of, uh, lack of desire to eat in the morning. And a lot of people will suffer from that. And that's, that's the biggest thing I generally find to get people over the hurdle of is that initial, well, I don't want to eat breakfast. I just, I just can't stomach it. It's going to make me feel sick. You know? So it's about building up that capacity to eat again in the morning. One of the totally. first things to do. Totally. So I guess just to wrap things up, um, because I know, Justin, you've got to go. Um, we touched on the point that eating protein, eating protein first thing in the morning is definitely going to help with a circadian rhythm. It's going to be ideal for most of us. Then also getting to the part of the day, uh, maybe re reducing the amount of calories that we're eating. Uh, you touched a bit on the, uh, on the carb backloading. Would you say to keep most of the carbohydrates to the last two meals of the day, Justin? Definitely. And uh, that's not to say that you can't have carbohydrates in the former meals. It's just to say the quantity of carbohydrates needs to be taken into consideration and the type as well. You know, I'm a big fan of having berries in the earlier part of the day um, because of a lot of the phytonutrients that they contain help the stress as well. Yes. And as I mentioned before, cortisol is heightened in the first hours of the day. So if there is an impairment within the central control system of the brain to cortisol that impacts the hippocampus, as an example, uh, for multitude of reasons. These, these are ways in which you can modulate that. Can I just touch on a point there? If someone trains early in the morning, so first thing in the morning, how, mm. how would they walk? Some people prefer to have a, a, a carb, carb protein meal before they train maybe a couple of hours. So let's mm. say they wake up at six in the morning, they're training at 9 a.m. or 8 a.m. They have a high protein, high carb meal. Then they go and train and then they have a protein powder after and then they have carb and protein meal again. How that impact their circadian rhythm, if at all? Yeah, no. Well, I think the best part of the time of the day to train is 11 a.m. And they've, they've indicated this because of the heightened levels of testosterone uh, that are liberated at that point of the day. Um, first thing when it comes to this, what you really need to consider is if you're going to train in the first hours of the day, are you able to really train in the first hour of the day? Consider the opportunity of whether or not it's the best thing for you. Um, the reason why I say this, if your circadian rhythm isn't well and is not functioning in its best parameter and you were to induce a excessive amount of stress in the earlier parts of the day without giving the opportunity the body the opportunity to break down proteins and to assimilate amino acids you're just going to further compromise your circadian rhythm and yeah. you're going to have negative outcome of stress tolerance uh, gradually occur over the you know, weeks months even yes. sometimes in these days yes um, so don't train in the fastest state if you're having issues with your sleep, if you're having issues with anxiety, and particularly if you're having issues with bloating. Um, and if you are going to train those times that you have no other option, really take a look at your heart rates and the intensity of what you're working at uh, to try and also duration of what you, how long you're training for, because you might just be doing yourself a disservice by training those hours of the day rather than actually contributing toward a healthier composition itself. So. In other words, you know, you get you become skinny fat. You know, you seemingly lose weight, but you don't lose much of the fat around the visceral region. Um, with regards to your question, though, if they were to have protein, you know, like for example, a protein shake with carbohydrates after their training, as opposed to most of the carbohydrates later in the day, well, this changes the biological need, right? So, this in essence, when you induce physical stress, you're altering the projection of natural circadian rhythm. So because of the stressor itself. So by inducing, uh, and sorry, not inducing, by incorporating um, a higher amount of, sorry, a protein that induces a higher amount of insulin release, as well as carbohydrates that help to facilitate that release, you're gonna help to repair uh, the, the, the body's stress systems in order to facilitate quicker healing, quicker recovery. So in those instances, no, it's not detrimental, but what needs to be taken in consideration is whether or not a protein shake is the best option for you as well. And why I say that, uh, in instances where you do have gastric inflammation, um, you know, a lot of the time protein shakes also instigate the uh, heightened release of nitric oxide. Now, nitric oxide is fantastic. Uh, really, there's a lot of benefits to really having nitric oxide in the body for a multitude of reasons, particularly oxidative stress. But what nitric oxide also does is increases blood flow. Now, when you have a scenario whereby you are exhibiting uh, what they call gastrointestinal hyperpermeability, 
you're flooding the gastrointestinal system with excessive amounts of blood, right? And with that also excessive amounts of nutrient flow. Now, there's nothing wrong with nutrients so long as they're assimilated correctly, but when certain nutrients leak into the bloodstream prematurely, they can also heighten an early immune response, an unwanted immune response, instigating more and more inflammation. So I would highly recommend that if you are exhibiting signs of flatulence, bloating, um, especially if you've had it within the first hour to 90 minutes after a meal, then you really want to refrain from having a protein shake after training and rather, uh, rather opt or select an amino acid supplement, like Christian mentioned, an essential amino acid supplement with certain cortisol modulators after training that would help to regulate the impact that cortisol might be having on the body, along with certain type of carbohydrates um, that have a greater osmality rate in the gut, uh, as well as electrolytes, more importantly. But when it comes to modulating cortisol as well, you know, electrolytes are so underrated, but I think they're probably more important than the quantity of carbohydrates consumed after training and, and the role which they play in stress modulation itself. So it's very much um, individually dependent, but I would take into consideration, firstly, your current state. If I were to wrap this up, consider your current state. You can have your guys fill in our uh, app. It's completely for free. The app doesn't cost anything. Only apart from time, it takes about 20 minutes to do it. So yeah. give yourself a bit of time. I'll, I'm going to give that a go myself afterwards. Oh, you'll enjoy it. It's a really good app. Um, and then it just gives you an indication of where in the body you need to focus your attention. It gives you a couple of lifestyle recommendations around that. Build up the, the uh, improve on the dysfunction. Improve on the dysfunction first. And then once you're feeling well, your digestion is on point, you're having more energy, your bowel movements are more frequent then you can start to incorporate more elaborate strategy like fasting, keto, calorie deficits, and so on. But try not to do it prematurely because otherwise it will cause a detriment. Elder, I'm going to have to say goodbye there. Unfortunately, I've got a patient that's been- No uh, problem at all. For me. I'll leave you a Christian to it, but thank you so much for having me on board. And no worries. Keen on having any more, you let me know. Happy for, to for, for sure, Justin. What I'll do as well, if you can, when you get a chance, send me all the links to all your social media websites so I can pop it on the notes, okay? We will do. Thank you, thank, Holder. Thank Take you. Care. Speak to you soon. Bye. Thank you. Christian, is there anything that you would like to add on to what Justin said? I mean, uh, he covered it pretty comprehensively. I mean, uh, with uh, exercising in the morning, um, I often find uh, that people have a better response to doing their lower intensity cardios earlier on in the day and their weight more, they're more, they heavier and more intense weight training stuff in the afternoon. Yes. And generally for a circadian rhythm, that probably worked better, but it also depends on what type of results you want to, to get. Like for instance, mm. if you want to take advantage of the increased testosterone release at say like, you know, 11, 11 AM, depending again, if you've got everything in rhythm, that everything's working the right way, yes. then you might want to change your training, training regime around. So it all is very much context dependent. You know, are you able to eat breakfast early in the morning? And then, you know, are you, uh, based on what you're eating in the morning, are you able to actually train? And then how are you able to train? How well is your digestion uh, to, to able to cope with a training session? How intense is that training session going to be? Is it going to impact your digestion? Because realistically training within the sort of two hour period after you finish eating, that's probably going to impact your digestion negatively, just as such as drinking large amounts of liquid or any, any of that fluid. Absolutely. Or in that sort of one hour, two hour window after eating, it's going to dilute that um, digestive time. I think that all so, comes down to the individual, doesn't it? Like, like we always say, it's, it's every individual is different in terms of their lifestyle, their approaches, their current state. Yeah, I, th I think it, it, it does come down to an individual, but I think it's more context rather than, oh, like one person react one way and another person react the other way. Mm. Everyone, you know, we're all made with pretty much similar similar pieces, you know. There's only so many ways the body can react. It just depends on where you specifically are right now, how your body's going to react to that thing. That is actually quite st standard. It's actually quite uh, continuous. Yes. The thing that's not continuous is your knowledge of your state. And that's why, you know, Justin mentioned my, my own ethos, which is test, don't guess, and, and the idea around, you know, just making sure that if you're, going to, if you're going to make, you know, statements about yourself or statements about a strategy, you have to know all the variables and all the confounding factors around it first before you can make any of those things. When we talk about testing, what testing, 
What testing do you guys normally do when you work with a client? So the, the, the staple testing in AC is symptomology and um, uh, blood, uh, blood chemistry analysis. So we do very complex blood chemistry analysis, looking at every single system and, lo and lo looking at everything from micronutrients to gastrointestinal systems, liver, kidneys, hormonal systems, pretty much the full, full workup. And we, we do a very com uh, interactive and cross-analyze those symptoms with the uh, blood chemistry analysis. If, if somebody wanted to do that, how they, how would they go about doing that? What would be the approach? Uh, well, basically, the, the one of the first things they do is just fill out the app because that's that's the symptomology that we realistically use to okay. start the whole process off. And then we understand whether we might need to also order additional tests. You know, we'll then we'll consult with them, see if we need to order additional tests, such as organic acid tests, which is basically a urine test, a stool analysis, you know, to see if there's anything going on in the microbiome, you know, so on and so forth. So we can order more specialized tests than that as well, but they're the general ones that you're going to see used most commonly that and the DNA methylation is probably another one we use fairly commonly as well. Brilliant. So, yeah, it's just basically, it's because it's a personalized structure, structure, you know, it's, you start off with a symptom, symptom, symptom analysis questionnaire, and, and then we, we go from there, we build it up into a very personalized structure for you that takes your specific context into account of this moment in time, not just you as a generalized person that happened years ago, or that's going to happen in the future. It's, whatever is going on right now at this point. So even our customers that come back to us, maybe they've, 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 they've done something, they've gone away and they go, right, well, that was great, but now I wanna go over here, but they haven't been in contact with us for a few months or a year or whatsoever. They come back and they go through the same process because it's a new moment in time. So we need to- Things, things change all the time, right? Like for example, I, I've, I've got a routine at home, which is pretty the same every day. But now I'm, I'm away in Dubai. I'm staying in hotels. I'm not cooking my meals fresh. So my routine is massively going to change, which is probably going to change a lot of things. Well, even with success, this is what I say to people, even with success, you're going to change. Now, whether that change will, uh, will, will be predictable based on what we understand is happening, and we have this continuous or continuous uh, set of information that we've gathered over months and months and months, uh, or whether it's a, a completely new assessment period where we don't know what's going on and we have to start from scratch in terms of assessing, you know, either way, you know, it's about understanding that the, the, the principles behind understanding your context rather yeah. than yeah. saying, well, this should work because this, this, this fits a few, this, this ticks a few boxes and it's what everyone else is doing. What got success from my mate down there? And uh, yeah, so this should work for you. And realistically, and then they, it, well, it's not that it won't. It's just that you're leaving a lot to chance. Mm. You know, it, it, it's can you can you afford to leave it to chance? That's the question. You know what it is? I feel that we live in a society, like we said at the beginning of this podcast, it, it's quick fixes, right? So everybody's willing to take chances because they don't see that as as life or death situation. Yeah. Is oh, I'll try this, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't work, well, I tried it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that makes complete and sense. I, I, I see that in pretty much all aspects of life, but more and more to he with health, I'm seeing like the supplement world is crazy, right? We're talking about people taking every sort of supplement because someone else told them that worked for them. So I'm going to take that and see how it goes. Yeah, no, completely. I'm, I mean, look, everyone makes mistakes. I mean, uh, I've made plenty of mistakes in my life. Um, Absolutely. You know, Justin has, I'm sure you have, you know. And Absolutely. Everyone, and there's, I'm sure we'll make more mistakes in the future. But the thing is, it's it's not about uh, dwelling on mistakes we've made or or or, yeah. or damning everyone for any mistakes they've made. Absolutely. How for how people move forward with those things. So even if people have tried those things, and I, and I don't blame them. I I do things like all the time. I go, well, I don't know what that is. I don't know what it does. So I'm going to do some research and try it in this circumstance and make a test. Yes. Make an experiment. Yes. That's how we learn. Yes. You know, it's about what you do with that information going forward as to whether that's successful or whether it's not so serious. Yes, yes. So in terms of um, if people want to see, find, follow you, find out more about you, both you and Justin, where would they find you, social media, websites? What, what would be the best approach? Um, I think the, the, the autonomiccoaching.com is the, is the website. And um, I think the, the best Instagram is at, uh, at autonomiccoaching should be the, the correct Instagram. Uh, forgive me, I'm 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 not to scratch with all, no all, the, all the social media stuff like that. I, I I don't deal with much of that. I just uh, deal with the 
<laughs> Justin does all the all the social media side of things. Uh, we yeah, we have a general manager Sonia that will uh, do all that, so we can get we can get all that over to you. So all the notes. I'm pretty sure they're the correct ones. To just um, brilliant. Kind of, yeah. And the other question I've got to finish off is: any books around that you recommend around this topic? Oh, um, it, it, me and Justin always joke about this. Um, when people go, oh. What, what, what books should I read to learn about this? What books should I read to learn yeah. about that? It's like, well, you know, I, if I could remember all of the books I've read off the top of my head and when where I got this piece of information from where I got that piece of information, it's literally like you're going, right, well, what paper was it that I read? Like, yes. you know, the, uh, what, what study that I read that gave yes. me this piece that I connected to that book? I connected to this other paper that I connected to this other book that I connected to this course I did at some point in the, in, uh, back yeah, in the yeah, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it, these things... They're multifaceted and they come from many, many different places. So yes. there's no one book I can really give you. I mean, there's, there's, there's a large number of uh, university you know, modules and lectures that I, that I draw on on a regular basis. There's a large number of anatomy books that I draw on a regular basis. And there's a large number of scientific papers that I draw on a, re on a regular basis. So it's very difficult to say one unique book um but i think it's uh one one book that was probably relatable to what we were talking today mm -hmm. in terms of protein amino acid tablin was uh Mar i think it's mario pascoli um oh uh what was the what was the name of the book again um remember the author not the book title i, I, I what i do is i'll send it to you in the link so you can yeah, get the link that's fine yes. i'll do that basically, yeah. basically gives a, a some really good literature and information on the metabolisms of amino acids uh, and how they how certain amino acids impact various uh, other hormonal pathways such as cortisol and testosterone and how they can be incorporated Brilliant. during a training uh, training regime awesome awesome well i'd like to thank you for your time i know just that to rose thank you for being on the podcast hopefully we can maybe record i know justin wanted to share some stuff with us that you guys are going to be lecturing we didn't have the opportunity to do that so maybe we can do that another time um, oh yeah Whatever you guys want to touch on in terms of what you guys do, I would love to have you back on because it's all about improving people's health and well-being. I think that's the number one thing. There's a, there's an infinite number of topics we can go go on. I mean, uh, we, we didn't even we didn't even touch on detoxification. No, the liver in itself is a is a couple of podcasts. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully we'll we'll arrange to to come back maybe in a few weeks and, and talk about whatever you guys want to talk about, because I know there's always good information to come out of there. Yeah, no, of course. All right. Thank you so much for your time. No worries. My I pleasure. wish you a happy new year and I'll see you soon. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye.